Hello and welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. My name is Charlie and I'm here with my co-host slash friend, James. Happy to be here and happy to be your friend, Charlie. If you're new to Paper Boys, this is a weekly science podcast where Charlie and myself dive into the actual research papers behind headline science news. Oftentimes you read a headline and it's like, isn't there more to the story? We tried to actually go to the solid research paper and experimental methods behind these stories so you get the real facts. That's right. We are both PhD students, and so we, we're decent at reading papers, I would say. And, uh, and we've been doing this podcast for a while now. We're actually coming up next week is the one-year anniversary of the first episode of Paper Boys. I'm excited about it. I'm pretty excited about it, too. We got a little over, like, early excited because we were like, oh, episode 52, that is 52 weeks that's one year yeah but it actually doesn't work out that way because we released two episodes to start and Mm. and then also you know the way time works the 53rd (laughs) would actually be it's true it's true the science behind it's a little more complicated than meets (laughs) the eye maybe we'll find a paper explaining time one day with that charlie for today's episode close to a year what are you bringing in so this is actually a really cool paper that i found it's about an artificial tongue an artificial tongue yeah i mean that's what sort of the headlines called it but really what it is is like it's a very small sensor that can wait okay, let what? me guess what is this like an artificial tongue like you know a dog comes up and licks you it's like an artificial tongue so if you don't have a dog you can like stick your hand out and it'll lick your hand and you'll feel like oh i have a pet but no none of the responsibilities of taking care of a pet no, that's that would be really disturbing. Also, is that all that you want out of a dog? No, 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 no. <laughs> this is not market? me projecting. <laughs> What's the market for that, James? <laughs> but you know, like some weird urban environment, or like people no. can't have dogs. No, it's not for soothing the soul with the sensation of Just a tongue a, licking you, or the floors. It could be like a new vacuum cleaner. No, ew, a better oh, version be of a so mop. disgusting. That's what dog. That's what dogs are for. <laughs> And companionship. But no, let's roll it back, James. Let's you know what? Let's just quit this episode. You've you've taken it to a weird place. <laughs> all right, all right. No, so tell the, me what it's actually about. The artificial tongue is uh it's not really tongue like. It's actually just like a sensor that this group has developed in order to detect like the specific composition of a mixture. It's no moving parts. No moving parts. And what they the reason why it's like a tongue is that what they did in this study was they used it to distinguish between seven different whiskeys really yeah so they used their like quote-unquote artificial tongue as a whiskey taster that's pretty cool yeah and like they were able to successfully differentiate wow yeah okay well i have not read this paper so i'm very excited to learn more well i'm excited to tell you more james we are the paper boys All right, Charlie, before we actually dive into the episode, obligatory social media call out. If you're not following us already, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Our handle is at Paperboys Podcast. We're also very excited to roll out our Patreon. If you enjoy the content of Paperboys and would like to hear more, check it out, 
patreon.com slash paperboyspod. We've get, got so we got some hot bonus episodes up. Hot bonus episodes, a new one every month. If you subscribe, free sticker, a couple other perks for some of the higher levels. Eternal friendship from Eternal James and myself. Friendship. Yep. You, it's Check. like it's actually like you join the Paperboys Research Lab. The tiers sure. are you've got research assistant, research yeah. collaborator. You could be first author. It's pretty cool. You could be principal investigator. Ooh. Yeah. We're not even principal investigators yet. No, we're we're quite far from that. Just mere research peons. But <laughs> yeah. if you like it, check it out. Charlie and I love making this and uh, makes it very even more rewarding for us. It does. Okay. So into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Charlie. Down how, the whiskey glass. Tell me you were drinking whiskey when you heard about this. I didn't, but I am impressed that you showed up to this episode with a glass of whiskey, not even knowing. Not even knowing. You were just like subconsciously prepared. We're just yeah. on the same wavelength, James. Yes. The same artificial tongue wavelength. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, except I'm, for that whole dog thing. We're definitely not on the same wavelength there. <laughs> I mean, it was worth the guess. It was worth fielding a guess. So you weren't drinking whiskey. What brought this to your attention? So I was scanning some news headlines and I saw a couple couple articles that jumped out at me. Fizz.org said artificial tongue can distinguish between whiskeys. Okay. CNN has a headline that says artificial tongue that can identify different whiskeys could put an end to counterfeiting. Ooh. So a little bit of like an application there. All right. And then finally, New York Post, which I will be coming back to at the end because this article actually made me angry. All right. Is the New York Post a real news media outlet? It's like half tabloid, half journalism outlet. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like if you just Google like New York Post front page, you'll just see the most comical. Like, it's like they're a tabloid, but they're reporting on actual like world news. But like they sort of don't care about how they're perceived at all, and it's yeah, just kind like, of funny. And like when Kim Kardashian went to the White House, the headline <laughs> oh, was man. like Trump meets Rump. <laughs> and then, you know, sub-headline. Oh, the New York Post is the Daily Bugle from Spider-Man. Really? Think of it that way. Okay. Like, I'm pretty sure the Daily Bugle is just modeled on New York Post. Okay. That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's New York Post. Like, Anthony Weiner's scandal. It says, Weiner's rise and fall. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Dude, they must have so much fun. Cloak and shag her. <laughs> Obama beats Wiener. <laughs> oh my goodness. We could do an entire podcast just about New York Post headlines. Should do an episode, bonus episode about that. Yeah. So anyway, the New York Post says, Scottish scientists develop artificial tongue to detect fake whiskeys. But it's the content of the article that made me really angry. Yeah. And we'll get to that at the end. Yeah. Okay. So with all that, who, where, when, why, how actually wrote this paper? Uh, how wrote this paper was, <laughs> first author was Gerard Macias from the School of Engineering at University of Glasgow in Scotland. Two for two. Glasgow. I know. We're all about the Scottish papers these days. Way to go, Glasgow. Yeah. They're crushing it. Well, I guess a couple weeks ago. That's true. Yeah. A couple weeks ago. But... I thought it was cool how it was this Scottish research group doing research on Scotch whiskey. Seems appropriate. It, yeah, it was very like they, you know, they picked these really nice whiskeys. It was probably just an excuse for them to get some research-funded whiskey. whiskey. Yeah. Still, smart, smart people. Very smart. Uh, it was published on 
July 3rd, 2019 in the journal Nanoscale. Okay. And the title of this paper is Whiskey Tasting Using a Bimetallic Nanoplasmonic Tongue. You want to break that down? <laughs> yeah, a couple big words there. So, so whiskey is a drink. Oh, okay. Uh, so okay. bimetallic nanoplasmonic tongue. Those are kind of like the... Bimetallic just means that this sensor was produced using uh, two different metals. There's okay. aluminum and gold. And nanoplasmonic is sort of in reference to the technique that they're going to use to detect different components of, this, of these mixtures. To actually do, I imagine, like electrochemical sensing or something like that? Yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is. Honestly, okay. it was a little bit hard for me to understand, which is actually kind of surprising because this is like a field of research in plasma physics is these like surface plasmons. But every time that I've gone to a talk from like a colleague who's talking about surface plasmons, I just it, my eyes glaze over like I don't understand it at all. Really? It's okay. really hard. Yeah, it's like a really cool field. But honestly, it's probably more relevant to your kind of work like electrical engineering and device manufacturing and like sensor manufacturing and stuff interesting than it is to my field to be fair i know very little about sensor fab and stuff but yeah it sounds like it's well, not even it sounds like, like a cool sort of crossover project between a lot of different interdisciplinary fields it is yeah yeah so how did they how did they decide to create an artificial tongue where'd that come from so there's a lot of motivation for devices that can like analyze what's in a mixture. So a mixture out crime. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like one of the applications here is for okay. whiskey. Like if you just buy a bottle of whiskey and it's like, you know, you steal your dad's nice whiskey from the cabinet <laughs> and then you can just replace it with little drops of, I don't know. Theoretically, you could do this. <laughs> Theoretically, of course. Yeah. Replace it with drops of log cabin and water <laughs> and then uh and you know who would ever know the difference yeah an but artificial tongue an artificial tongue would know the difference yeah so the point being that like let's say you bought a 500 hundred dollar bottle of scotch but someone has uh emptied that bottle out and filled it with something crappy and they just scammed you okay i mean there's, there's a huge whiskey market i mean obviously like bottles go for so much money yeah yeah it's actually uh it's a 93 trillion dollar market worldwide Hold on. <laughs> no, I just made that up. <laughs> I was like, the U.S. debt is like, yeah. I was like, why don't we just make a lot more whiskey? That sounds <laughs> yeah. Get us out of this hole. That's a market ripe for disruption. <laughs> Ninety-three trillion dollars. <laughs> no, uh, no. Is, are you sure this wasn't like funded by DARPA and the <laughs> yeah. Department of Defense? Yeah. No, but so the the motivation here is think of like I know we're being a little silly, but that you know that episode of SpongeBob SquarePants where plankton is trying to steal a krabby patty so that he can put it in his little like he's got that like laser yes that will like zap something and then tell you like <laughs> like i'm like cracking up just thinking about this episode yeah it's it'll be like 99 percent, you know like one percent whatever like 99 percent hot gas that's what i remember <laughs> anyway yeah but so I, okay this device is actually aiming to do pretty much exactly that oh which is like you can put something on this device or on like a theoretical device that would do this and then it would tell you this is made up of um, 13% ethanol and 10% water and you know 5% or 
cranberry juice, you know, like whatever. Sort of like the Futurama Smelloscope. Have you seen that episode? Oh man, you're calling back like some old memory here, but how does that work? It's instead of a telescope, the oh, the and doctor you get to smell the, like the smell planets it or whatever. Yeah. Seeing it. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. But I mean, yeah, like that's kind of you what's get the going composition of what whatever it is that you're sensing. Yeah, and so there's other ways of doing this. Like one technique is called chromatography, mm-hmm. and I guess what they are doing is they take a mixture. So let me back up. A mixture, as opposed to a solution, a mixture is like a bunch of different components are mixed together, but they're not, they're all still like separate. They're just combined. Okay. Whereas a solution would be something like, um, like salt water would be a solution because when you put NaCl, which is salt into the water, the Na and the Cl like break up. It actually dissociates. They dissociate. Yeah. And so it becomes one thing that is, you know, all these different molecules. Whereas like whiskey is a mixture because it's got water in it and it's also got ethanol in it. That are all Which just like mixed together. Similar to like the atmosphere, like the air around us is a mixture, okay. not a solution. Okay. Um, so like if you took a sample of air, you could, you know, do some analysis on it that shows you it's got 70% nitrogen and 20% oxygen, you know, whatever those numbers are. Okay, cool. So this, this artificial tongue measures mixtures. Yes. And so one, so like I said, one technique that is used to do this currently is chromatography. And Mm -hmm. what you do is like you have this liquid mixture and through some, I don't know, chemistry process, they get it to like move through a medium and different parts of the mixture will move at different speeds. And so then they end up like, like stretching out away from each other. Oh, so you end up with like different pieces that are just the different components of the mixture. But this is like a really time intensive process and it also requires like really specialized lab equipment. Mm -hmm. And so like you'd have to send that off to a lab and like have it like analyzed and do all that stuff. So you can imagine if you're trying to like detect counterfeit whiskey or something like that, or like, let's say you need to test some drugs on the spot, like of what you're about to administer to someone or, or something, Mm -hmm. you need something that's like real time, portable, like theoretically, like maybe inexpensive, something that like you can do on the spot basically. Yeah. So this research group is aiming to develop something that can hopefully replace this very intensive lab procedure. Cool. Okay. I can get behind that. It's like you get your bottle, pop it open. You're chilling at J Tree. <laughs> pour a little, yeah. Pour a drop out for one of your homies onto your artificial tongue <laughs> just to make sure you got the good whiskey. <laughs> I mean, for example, yes, a hypothetical scenario. Hypothetically, yeah, it's that portable. Or okay. like maybe they could, you know, have these at the TSA, and then you could bring your water through as long as you you pour a little splash of water on the sensor, and they're like, okay. It's not whatever a liquid it is that TSA is always trying to stop you from bringing. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. I hate pouring out my water bottle at TSA. I hate the TSA. I always so forget much. too, which is yeah. the worst part. But okay, I digress again. Well, I mean, I have a bunch of questions. Like, how do you make this sensor? What do you do to test it? How do they, how do they actually like, you have the sensor and you pour whiskey on it or you submerge it in whiskey and then it's like, do they get an electrical reading? How do you actually yeah. measure it? So why don't we start with how do they make this sensor and like what what is it made of? Okay. So I mentioned at the beginning it's bimetallic. It's got gold and aluminum. Yeah. Why Why is that? So this there's this technique that they can use that involves these surface plasmons that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do my best to explain this, but 
I guess what happens is if you create like a nanostructure, like a metallic nanostructure. So let's like, I guess a theoretical example is like you. So I guess we'll use the example that they have on this sensor, which is that they have a little glass plate and then they deposit these little nanoscale squares of metal. It's like 100 nanometers by 100 nanometers and it's 50 nanometers thick. And let's say all those squares are gold. Mm-hmm. And they're placed, you know, just in a giant grid. They're like all over this thing. So those nanostructures, like those are on a similar scale as the wavelength of visible light. Wow. Okay. Like visible light, we're talking about hundreds of nanometers is the wavelength. Yeah. So these things are actually, actually they're smaller than the wavelength of visible light. So I guess what happens is when light impacts this surface, it can excite these things called surface plasmons. And I think that that's just like this tiny, like very, very small scale plasma that gets created there because there's like an electric field and you've just got these very small structures where the electric field can bunch up. Mm-hmm. And there's also electrons in that metal. So this is why it has to be metal. Okay. Because you have like the way metals work is that inside of them, the electrons are like free floating. It's just like a soup. And so what happens is if you have a plasma at that surface of the metal, the electrons inside of the metal will resonate with the plasma okay wow and that resonance depends on the refractive index at the surface of the metal okay and the refractive index is a function of what solution is there okay so you put a different solution on the refractive index changes the resonance then of these electrons on the metal changes changes and then you can measure that resonance and so cool. Just okay. to just to explain a little bit of that, refractive index is just like what it basically just determines what is the speed of light in that medium. Mm-hmm. So you know how like if you're looking in water, it looks a lot shallower than it really is. Yeah, that's because the light is bending because it has a different refractive index than air. Okay. So like the light bends because the speed of light is different, and so it has to take a longer path or something something like that. Okay. I don't know. That was hand wavy, but refractive index is just, you know, that's a very visible example of something that has a different refractive index. Cool. So like maybe as an analogy, it's like, you know, if our eyes were sensitive enough and it's like you calibrate your eyes to like really nice whiskey and you put bad whiskey in front of it, maybe you could visibly like see a different refractive index. Right. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. If your eyes were like super, super sensitive, but yeah. Yeah. So this is like a way of them kind of measuring that on such like a very sensitive scale. So then is this output isn't like an electric signal that they can measure with equipment? No. So what it outputs actually is an optical signal. So because oh, okay. that plasma, the, the, the plasmon resonance or what they call rather the localized surface plasmon resonance is actually happening at like this visible light frequency. So it's happening with like a wavelength of, you know, 400 to 1200 nanometers. And so they can actually just take like a uh, a camera and basically like image that. I mean, it's a fancy camera. It's a spectrometer, but or actually it's called a spectrophotometer. But what it does is it's just measuring the frequency of the light like on a spectrum. So it tells you how much light is occurring at, at what different frequency. Okay. And so if you if you take that measurement and let's say the resonance the localized surface plasmon resonance is at 600 nanometers, you're going to see a spike at 600 nanometers. Mm -hmm. And so those spikes tell you something about the refractive index of the the mixture. Cool. 
computer is awesome. I remember that lab experiment from chemistry class. Like look in and you see the certain spectrogram of something that you're looking at. Yeah. You're like, oh, you see the lines of the specific elements. It's really cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. And that, that's like how you identify components of like lots of different things. Yeah. Sweet. That's a neat way to... I love seeing the like, call it like the signal chain. Like how you go from like, you have light, it passes through this medium and it's changed. And then light turns into, it causes the surface plasmons to resonate. Yeah. And so there's like all these different transformations that go on uh, before you make a decision. Like yeah. ultimately leading to the person. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, it is cool. So the reason why this is useful is that that resonance, I mentioned that it depends on the refractive index of the mixture, but it also depends on like you can make modifications to the surface of this metal and then that will also cause a different response to these plasmon resonances. Oh, okay. Different metal, different response. Right. So if you have... so. Not even like just a different metal, but like they deposit like just different chemicals on top of the metal. Oh, okay. And they kind of look at what that does basically. And what they really are doing actually is that they're they're creating a sensor that has, I mean, it's using gold and aluminum little squares, mm-hmm. but it has three different regions, all of them with gold and aluminum, but um, each region has like a different surface chemistry. Like they've deposited something different on the surface of the gold, the gold and the aluminum. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's even more complicated. I know. I'm kind of like building this up in a way that's that's probably really confusing. But no, that makes sense. I mean, what are the, what, I guess what's the benefit of using these different chemicals? Yeah. So that's a great question. The reason they want to do that is because you get different resonances for the two different metals, and then you also get different resonances for the different surface chemistries. Basically, by having like two different metals times three different surface chemistries, you've now got oh. like a matrix of six different responses so you can using the it. same metals and the same mixture. Okay. So now it's like you can actually start to identify, you can tune them, maybe tune them differently by using different combinations. You have right. these six different options. And then. Right. So, like. Is it six or is it eight? It's six. But so if you. Oh, cool. okay. I mean, it's really three sensors. Like they, they, they talk about it as three different arrays because the, the bimetallic nature, the fact that they're using aluminum and gold is already kind of like, that's already like a more advanced technique okay. trying to achieve this sort of like, oh, well, we have two things, two signals to look at. So then by having these three different surface chemistries, now you just, now you're multiplying that. Okay. But so like for two different whiskeys, like if you just had a gold nanostructure, you might not be able to tell the difference in the response at all. Yeah. But like if one or two different elements like has a characteristically different response, or like you said, you can tune it, you know, you can calibrate it to different things and you can see like, well, this particular combination of six responses is very specific to, it's like a password almost, you know, like the more characters in the password, the more unique it is. Like the harder it would be to, to mix up with something else or to guess. Yeah. You'll come up with a more, unique response right right yeah it's like two dimensions you could put something here but then in three dimensions it could be in the same spot but at any different height right yeah okay so now we're talking about six dimensions and it's so that's good a 60 universe 60 (laughs) universe yeah all right well that makes sense so this is giving them more control based on the way that they actually designed physically designed the sensor 
Wait, do you want to hear the names of what they deposited on the gold and the aluminum? Of course. You've had to hear me rattle off so many weird long chemical names. I know. You had you there was one episode where you had a really crazy one. This one doesn't really hold a candle, but so the first array is just unmodified gold and aluminum. The second array, they added one decanethiol to the gold and they added hexamethyl disilazane to the aluminum. And then on the third array, they added, are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's called 1H1H2H2H perfluoro-1-decanethiol to the gold. Oh, yeah. And then, my favorite. And then for the aluminum, they added, this is the craziest one, 2-methoxypolyethylenoxy-6-9-propyl-trimethoxylane-oxycylane with, nice. the, with the convenient acronym of PEG. <laughs> like why so even much publish easier. the full name just call it peg yeah jesus so these arrays uh had some crazy stuff on them i think i think those are all just like silicon <laughs> but <laughs> okay well as soon as those entered my brain those names i forgot them so i remember peg peg uh pfdt hmds and dt those are the acronyms all right, that's not too bad. So uh, for obvious reasons, they use the acronyms for the remainder of the paper. Thank God. Sweet. Well, so how did they test these then? I met, So, I mean, basically where we've gotten to this point is they've made the sensor. We know that they can use different metals and chemicals to help improve the sensitivity to perhaps different uh, constituents in whatever mixture they're trying to test. How do they test it? Do they just go straight straight to the hard stuff? They so they did um they did do some control stuff. Okay. Or like some more more like measured things. So they had a couple solutions that consisted of water with ten percent, twenty percent, or thirty percent acetone. And then they also had mixtures of water with ten, twenty, thirty, or forty percent ethanol. Okay. And so they used those as one test case. And then they also bought a bunch of different alcohols. So they bought absolute vodka. <laughs> and then Glenn Fittich, they bought a 12-year, a 15-year, and an 18-year. Glenn Marnock, some some whiskey, some scotch drinker here is going to laugh at my pronunciation, but Glenn Marnock, sherry cask, bourbon cask, and rum cask. And then uh, Lafroig, again, okay. please don't crucify me, uh, and that was a 10-year scotch. Wow. So they probably burned like half their research funding on alcohol, but... Yeah, it was probably like... Hey, hey, Johnny and Sue, come over to my place. We're going to do some research. We're doing some research, yeah. They probably I brought bought, the, like, you bring the Lafroig. <laughs> I got yeah. the Glenn Fittich. I got the 30% acetone by volume. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, uh, you're not invited. Yeah, it's not that kind of party, man. <laughs> so what happened? Yeah, so those are, the, so those are the, like, the tests, the mixtures that they tested. Yeah. And the way they tested them is that they enclosed the sensor in like a little silicon chamber and then they filled it with the solution and they, quote unquote, agitated it for two minutes. Okay. So I don't know if that means they had a fancy piece of lab equipment that vibrated it or like gave it to a, an undergrad and told them to shake it up. <laughs> Hopefully an undergrad of drinking age. Yes, of course. And then, uh, as I mentioned before, like the way that they get the signal is that they probe these sensors using a light source. Okay. And so they have this special light source that, that produces light from visible so at the lowest, 400 nanometers, all the way up to near infrared, which is 1,200 nanometers. Okay. 
and then they uh, and then they measured it using this micro spectrophotometer. So it's just a very small version of what we talked about before. <laughs> Lots of like long names in this paper for stuff that's just like, oh yeah, it's just another version of a different thing. Yeah. I mean, that's what's kind of cool about all these. You start to see the sim- all these episodes, all the different papers. You sort of see a lot of similarity in techniques and yeah, yeah. methods. And I guess what they are doing with the measurement is they're looking for like a minimum in the spectrum. So I mentioned earlier that like if you looked at a signal, you would see like a peak mm-hmm. at a certain wavelength. I think in this case, they're actually looking for a minimum. It is still, it's still a peak, but it's like a negative you know, going flipped. Yeah. And I think that's because the wavelength of light that they probe with will get like coupled and absorbed. Oh. Whereas all the other light will get kind of just like scattered and f- reflected around. The same way where it's like if you look at a black shirt, like if you're looking for black, it's getting absorbed. Yeah. But that's the signature that you get. Right. That's the signature you'd be looking for. The light. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so they, they extract basically the wavelength of the minimum peaks. For okay. all six of the, like, or for all three of the arrays, I guess. Cool. Yeah. And uh, was it, I mean, how selective was it? Were they able to actually, like, tell a difference between the different alcohols and the acetone, different substances? Oh, yeah. I mean, big time. So Really? Yeah. So they, wow. so they kind of dive into the results here. And actually, it's kind of funny. Like, at the beginning of the results section, there's, like, a couple paragraphs that I'm reading. And I'm like, yeah, I already know this. And then the next paragraph, I'm like, yeah, I already know this. And it's like all this repetitive stuff from the sections before. Oh, really? It's like summarizing. And I was like, oh, it's because most people are going to open this paper and scroll down to the part that says results and discussion most and miss all of like boys. their cool work. Really? Setting this up. Yeah. So like they put it there because they were like, screw you. Like you're not, you're not getting out of seeing how we did this. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that's smart. Most people just end up reading the abstract like two words of the intro and then the conclusion and the conclusion yeah and, mo- and but like most of the time is spent on building the experiment and like getting it working you know yeah which is all methods totally anyway so results are and let me preface this by saying like i actually did not understand the analysis it's another one of these like statistics thing okay that actually i think you may have told me before about principal component analysis yeah so they did principal component analysis on this. Okay. So maybe you can cool. help us out. But I think what they were doing is... I loved that class. They were plotting like the transmission peak, like the different peaks in the in the light that they found mm-hmm. versus the mixture that was being tested. Okay. And then I guess... So I guess those are their principal components or something. Like they have those as data points. Yeah. So you'd get your your light signature mm-hmm. and basically for each of the different tests that you do you presumably have some different combination of light yeah you're a, like a light signature right and then you break it down into the components that have the most weight to them basically that define what it is oh i so see. i mean you so like you'd have you'd have like okay for the glenfiddich 12 year we had uh this set of peaks in the spectrum yeah and then they say now for the glenfiddich 15 year we had this set of peaks and like a lot of them were pretty similar but this one really changed and so that one becomes like a a really important component in determining the difference yeah so 
I'm going to use another analogy with t-shirts and colors. Okay. So imagine like, actually this works really well. So there are three colors that make up everything that the human eye can see, uh, red, green, and blue. Yeah. And so it's like, imagine you take a picture of someone's shirt, take a picture of six different shirts instead of six different alcohols or whatever. And every shirt's going to have some component of red, some component of green, and some component of blue. Oh. And so then it's like the same way you could plot something in 3D space by its X, Y, and Z coordinates. You could plot it by its red, green, and blue components. And you could imagine if you, this 3D plot, the points would now be separated. Yeah, okay. But uh, you could do this, you could expand this out to many different dimensions. Yeah, okay, I'm really glad that you explained that because that's exactly what they do here is they make these 2D plots. Mm-hmm. Presumably if they're doing light, you know, they have tons of measurement points, which makes it really hard to determine. But only a few of those measurement points are really important. Yeah, but they also have a ton of data. Like for each one of these... For each one of these whiskeys, they have like dozens of data points because they're measuring spatially on the sensor. Yes. And the sensor is, I think it was like 300 micrometers across and there, but their microspectrophotometer was like 45 microns. So oh, they took so like a bunch one. of data points o- across the whole sensor. Okay. And so what they're doing is, I mean, I can show you this plot. They plot these two principal components, which I think had to do with the wavelength of the peak that they found and the actual which whiskey it was and they do this 2d plot and all the data points do bunch up like you described yeah that's awesome so i mean basically what they're saying is like from all these data points that they're looking at maybe only two of them account for most of the change and the what they're looking at oh yeah okay so it's a way of data using it's a form of data reduction also gotcha so maybe there was like other measurements that they could have taken and like this plot would turn out as just like a big mess and so they found the two that were the most, like, that were, gave the most separation. Yeah, some of those measurements just weren't important. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, thank you for the lesson. Yeah. On the paper where I'm supposed to be giving the lesson, but... No, 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 that's cool. Yeah. I, that stuff's really interesting. It's a cool way to do it. So I'm glad I understand this better now, because I was actually kind of worried about, like, trying to explain this section and just getting, like, a blank stare. So, yeah, they, they take these measurements, they make the plot, and then, you know... It's not like the plot then tells you like, oh, this whiskey's better than that one. But what it does tell you is um, if you know the signature of Glenn Fittich 18 year, mm-hmm. then when you run the analysis, you can just compare it. Like in the same way that you were talking about with, you know, a spec- like spectroscopy, if oh. you know that the signature of, you know, argon is at like, like 600 nanometer wavelength and then you see a spike at 600 nanometers then you know you've got argon there. Okay. So it's like, I mean, and this is basically what sommeliers and stuff are hired to do is like they can recognize these different signatures that would be in it. It's like, oh, Glenfiddich 15, like that's known for having like these tones or whatever in the taste. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah. So it kind of is like a tongue in that sense. Only instead of using like these kind of like subjective descriptors that we have, they're using like a more, they're using like, you know, a piece of data that is measured by uh, an instrument. That's cool. So I guess in that sense, it is like an artificial tongue. Yeah. When you're sipping whiskey, your tongue is the instrument. Very cool. And yeah. so they were able to identify differences then between these initial sets. Like you've mentioned that this tongue is supposed to be used for like identifying counterfeit alcohol. Like, do they have any opportunity to try it out? Oh, to like do like a blind test or something? Yeah. No, I mean, not in this paper. 
But okay. I mean, I don't think that you don't that you really need to. What they did show is that is that like, and, and they did some more analysis on this to show that like those bunchings of the data points were clearly differentiable, like within you know a standard deviation. Okay. You know, I think there was one or two maybe from their sensor that didn't perform as well. And what they were comparing it to was using a monometallic sensor. Oh. So one that just had gold. Okay. That's, that sort of begs the question, like, why use a bimetallic sensor? I guess the reason is that if you use a monometallic one, to get this same result, you need six arrays. Whereas when you're using bimetallic, you can condense it down into three. So okay, it so means the, the device can be smaller. Cost is probably... Yeah, it's smaller, it weighs less, it, you know. Cool. Swap, like you like to say. Size, weight, and power. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. That's really cool. I personally wish I were part of this study. It sounds really fun. Based on like all the research we read from Scotland, we should be grad students there. I know. Sounds like a tempting place to do a postdoc. Ooh, yes, please. Glasgow, watch out. Yeah. Paperboy's <laughs> incoming. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. Thanks for bringing in this article. We'll have to rename our podcast to Paper Lads. Paper Lads. There are probably a lot of listeners who are offended right now. <laughs> Why? I'm Is that a... <laughs> turns actually... out that's a derogatory word in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Braveheart. <laughs> so it was interesting kind of like seeing how this was picked up in the news, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just because it's really cool research. But it wasn't really, um, this was like an incremental advance in a field that already exists. Yeah. It just seems like it was the application of it to whiskey that grabbed people's attention. And of course, I'm, you know, I don't mean to say that in any way to like downplay what these researchers did. I think we can agree after just, after just like scrambling to try and understand this, that it's extremely oh, yeah. like impressive and, you know. But I mean, the theories of analysis and the idea of using a bimetallic sensor and the nanoplasmonics is like it's known like you were saying it's used for other things right it's not like they just came out and they were like hey we came up with this entirely new thing and it's got these crazy applications and everyone's like whoa like you just invented something yeah it's like i mean they just improved on something that that was already like a an area of research you know yeah still very cool it's very cool and like it's definitely bringing us closer to this application of, you know, maybe they can start deploying sensors like this. But a lot of the news outlets just like kind of missed the mark on that, I think. I mean, should I just go into this New York Post one? Yeah, I mean, I had a chance to look at your notes describing it and it didn't seem like you looked upon this article very favorably. No, on the Google Doc here, it just has no, 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 no. I was like legit angry when I was reading this article. Yeah, why is that? Well, so it's very short. And like the second sentence says, Scottish scientists are putting a new twist on artificial intelligence with an artificial tongue used to detect fake batches of booze. It doesn't sound like they used artificial intelligence. No. Like literally this author just read the word artificial and was like, oh, artificial intelligence. The only thing I could think about even using artificial intelligence on at that point is like, it's not even artificial intelligence, it's just statistical learning. You have the principal components and you plug it into a program that spits it out. Like, yeah, but and that's not artificial intelligence. Statistics. So, like, it just, it really, really irked me. It's like a, it's a classic example of, like, just when, bad science reporting. Well, when are they going to integrate it into the cloud for the <laughs> yeah, internet and IoT? Is this IoT enabled? <laughs> no, like... It's just total buzzword. The, the, the journalist obviously did not read the paper or even like the abstract of the paper 
Yeah. Like, I think, like, she skimmed another news article and then just banged out a, a quick three paragraphs, sent it to the editor, and never thought about it again. Hey, she's published. <laughs> yeah. That's frustrating. Yep. And that, yeah. that right there highlights the difference between science and journalism. <laughs> At least in this context. At least in this context. Yeah. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm bashing hard, but this is well, the there's some good journalism. All. There's some good Of journalism. course there is. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 That goes without saying. But uh, this podcast is about bashing the bad ones. So. Yes. Uh, and then she quoted this tweet. And this is where I really got mad. Quoting. She quoted a tweet that was, uh, it, the quote was, Outstanding use of AI to protect the sanctity of whiskey, one observer tweeted. And then I go, I go to this tweet. It's just some guy. Like, like just some random guy who just tweeted this thing. So it's like not only did the reporter not read the article, she's just going after some random dude who tweeted about it. I'm 99% sure that her source for this story was reading his tweet and not clicking on the article that he that he posted. She read his tweet and then she just wrote an article. And then she said, oh, and one observer uh, tweeted about this. Look, people are talking about this. Dude, that's bad. I, that's really bad. Yeah. Like I almost responded to that guy's tweet and was like, Hey, uh, dude, did you even read the news article that you just linked? Like, I went into it. It was a BBC article. I control F'd AI, artificial intelligence. Like, I read the whole article. There was not even a mention of AI. So, like, the, the BBC did not misunderstand it. Yeah. This guy just saw the headline said artificial tongue, and he was like, oh, it's AI. I felt like I was seeing in real time, like, how science misinformation is spread. No, totally. Someone misunderstands it. They tweet it. And then suddenly that tweet is now like an authority on it. That tweet gets put in a news article. And then a news article is something that you can cite and say like, oh, according to the news. Yeah. You know? No, it's really bad. It's like exactly the reason why your high school teachers told you don't use Wikipedia as a source. And you're like, you know, what? yeah, like 99% of the time it's fine. But this is that 1% that shows how like misinformation spreads yeah and if you're the person who spreads that your credibility is just shot right like if i were writing a science paper and i said artificial intelligence has been used in the past for applications like uh whiskey detection and then i did like cite new york post article or whatever uh, that would get thrown in my face yeah oof new york post man this was this was legit i think like the worst this is the worst news coverage that i've encountered doing this show Really? This one article, at least. I mean... This is the worst single article. Traceably bad. Yeah. Yes. It, 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 like, it really, really, really made me mad. I realize I'm getting so worked up about, like, just, like, one silly news article. No, but, but it's from, like, like how many... people like reading the New York Post. Yeah, how many tens of thousands of clicks or, like, hundreds of thousands of clicks did that news article get, you know? It, and ultimately, it's not going to change people's lives if they think that this tongue was using artificial intelligence. It really doesn't matter. But brings into question everything not everything but it's just against the whole spirit of science and what it's doing too but it also makes you think like okay well right here i have in front of me something that i know a little bit about and that i know is entirely wrong when i'm reading a news article about something that i'm not familiar with how do i know that i can now trust that this is properly researched you know no that's a really good point and like that could be reporting on stuff that does affect your life. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm worked up. Sorry. Don't. Well, 
I mean, be careful. <laughs> careful what you read on the internet. Yeah. I need some of that whiskey now, James. Yeah. I know some guys in Glasgow. You can hook us up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll get sponsored after this episode. Yes. By Glenn Fittich. Hashtag Glenn Fittich. Yeah. Well, excellent choice. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Oh, do you want to hear also like a nice little snobby line from a like a professional whiskey taster? Yes. Absolutely. Well, it says he's a master of the quake, which is the Scotch whiskey industry's highest accolade. Hmm. This guy's name is Charles McLean. And he said, uh, he basically just went on this long quote about like, oh, well, flavor assessment. It's done by smell and taste and texture. Our sense of taste is crude. We only have 9,000 taste buds, but we have 100 million olfactory receptors. And then he's like, he's basically saying like, taste is worthless when it comes to whiskey. It's all about smell. And so he's like, will this tongue be as sensitive as this, I wonder? And it's like... Sounds like he's protecting his job. Well, it's also like, it sounds like whoever called him for a quote, they were just like, hey, uh, they developed this artificial tongue. No explanation of what that means. And the guy was just like, oh, idiots. The tongue <laughs> is not what whiskey tasting's about, you know? Yeah. So, Isn't that the whole point of smell? Yeah. So it's just, I just thought it was kind of funny. This guy like no, it's- maybe didn't really know exactly what was this was about. And he was just like... No, my job is not in danger of being replaced by this thing. Trust me. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I didn't mean to say that he was snobby. I take probably that a nice guy. He's probably an extremely nice guy. If he was offended, uh, we should send out an invite to hash out our differences over a glass of whiskey. Mm, yes. That he brings. <laughs> that he, yeah, that he chooses. <laughs> At least until we whiskey graduate. Choosing. You don't think he'll want to drink Samuel Grant with us? No, probably not. <laughs> was there anything else from the paper? Any other snobby quotes? Nah, I need to get my blood pressure back down. <laughs> I'm mad. Well, that was really interesting, Charlie. Thank you for bringing that in. I'll never sip my whiskey the same way. Yeah, hopefully or- it'll enhance your enjoyment. Maybe we'll get a couple of those sensors in here. Uh, if you want to read the paper yourself, I believe it's open access, and so you can find it on our website, paperboyspodcast.com. We'll have a link there. And uh, undecided whether we'll post the New York Post article Maybe we'll... With a big caution. Yeah, big caution. Or maybe we'll uh, ask you guys to flood the comments over there. Yes. Bash (laughs) that story. If you enjoyed today's episode and you'd like to subscribe to our Patreon, please check it out. www.patreon.com slash paperboyspod. Same handle on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. It would really, really mean a lot to us if, um, if you checked out the Patreon. We're doing bonus episodes every month. We've got some cool stuff about rocket science with like... 100-year-old papers and stuff. But more importantly, it's a way for you to support the show and help help this keep going. Obviously, we love doing it, but we are we are but lowly grad students. <laughs> and so uh, it, it makes a big... It goes a long way in helping this hobby be something sustainable for the two of us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening, and please join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.